Father, once again, we uh, now we come to your word to talk about your word. And um, it's a question worth asking. It's a, it's, a, it's a topic worth discussing. Give us clarity. Give us a clear path um, and understanding. I thank you for those who submitted the questions uh, for this series. And, and um, as it, it, we start to get close to the end of the series, and uh, Lord, just uh, giving us the opportunity to kind of think through some of the things we take for granted or we've just never heard about. We pray that you would um, guide our conversation today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I want to invite you to, to, to take your Bibles, if you don't mind. Take your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Second Peter. Um, I want to read a, a passage. Uh, we're, we're not really going to be like working, working through a passage of Scripture um, because, because of the topic of this question. Um, but I do want to lay a foundation for it. Um, in Second Peter, uh, written by uh, the Apostle Peter toward the end of his life, probably about uh, 60, 64, 65 um, A.D., um, and, and Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, uh, Peter says this, uh, speaking about the disciples, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so here's the Apostle Peter an eyewitness to Jesus, talking about how when what he saw in Jesus, the majesty, the glory, the the miracles, the the declaration of Jesus's um, the declaration of Jesus's divinity at his baptism and then at the Mount of Transfiguration, he says all of those things that I saw, that we saw, that the disciples saw, the purpose of them was to sh- confirm. The, the prophetic word, the, the, and what he means is he's talking about the prophets and things, he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And basically he is laying a framework for the authority of the scriptures in the church. Now there are other places we can look, There's a, there are several passages that deal with that, but one of the, one of the um, fundamental concepts that we have to get down in our head about being a Christian is that Christians accept the authority of the Bible. Now, that sounds really straightforward, right? Until you start reading the Bible. And then you go, I'm not even sure what it says. How can I follow it? I mean, every one of us got bogged down on Leviticus the first time we read it and went, I'm not sure there are any lessons here. Um, There are a lot of names and numbers 
And how many of you, the very first time you read through the Bible, managed to get to First Chronicles? And then went, what are the like 20 pages of names? Who does that? Right? Um, or we get into Paul's epistles. I mean, even the Apostle Peter said that the things that Paul writes are difficult to understand. He says at the end of this letter. So it's one thing to say the Bible is authoritative. Uh, it's to say that we as Christians accept the Bible as, an, as our authority. Um, we, we articulated that it's the final authority in faith and practice in all things that it, it addresses. All right? Um, so so we, we, it's one thing to say the Bible has authority, but it's another thing altogether to actually understand what that authority means. Um, and so one of the most important things that we need then when we read the Bible is we have to have it in a form that we can access it. Um, and in the bulletin, there is this, uh, there's this handout. You, you did not have to study this before the sermon. So there are no quizzes coming. Everybody's like, well, last week he had us have a discussion. If he has us discuss this, we're in trouble. Um, I think this whole left, this whole left wing left because of that. Um, this giant space, uh, the, you know. But uh, in I, what I did was I, I put together a bunch of stuff for you. You can look at this later about the Bible. Um, the um, there's a there's a section that talks about the Bible as the revealed word of God. What is a, a Christian view of revelation? Um, what does it mean for God to reveal Himself to us? Uh, looking at Psalm 19, you can you can look at that. Um, and then there's one on why translate the scriptures, uh, which is kind of what the question that I'm addressing today was. Um, the question that I was asked was, why do we use the, the version of the Bible that we use? Um, we, we use the English Standard Version in our, our, public, uh, our public reading. Um, and I do not know who asked these questions, by the way, guys. Just so you know, none of these questions were signed. So unless somebody comes up to me and says, I asked that question, I have no idea who asked it. Um, but the question was, why do we use that version instead of another version, um, uh, and, and what, what is the, the basis for this? So um, I did include uh, a couple of different things, but um, one of the things that's on there is the, the, the statement about why translate Scripture. Uh, because if the Scriptures were given in Hebrew and Greek, right, um, if they were inspired in those languages, why translate it? Wouldn't it be... Um, wouldn't it be more in keeping with, uh, with you know, God inspired the scriptures? Wouldn't it be more in keeping if we just left them in Hebrew and Greek and we just had somebody interpret them for us? Right? Somebody could just read it in Hebrew and Greek and then interpret it. And then, by the way, this is, this is how synagogue worship works. This is how uh, mosque worship works. Um, if you go to a synagogue, a, a cantor will, will stand up and he will read the, the scriptures in Hebrew. Um, and then the rabbi will get up and he'll give you a sermon off of that Hebrew. And whether or not you understand the Hebrew or not, um, that's the way they're going to read it. They are not going to read it to you in English. You, you are going to hear it in Hebrew. Um, and if you go to the ma- a mosque, um, uh, the, the mullah uh, will uh, teach from the Arabic of the Quran. Um, he will not uh, offer you a translation necessarily. It is, it, it is fundamental to Islam that God revealed, Allah revealed himself in Arabic um, and any translation denigrates um, the language. It is, it is not perfect. You, you have to study it um, in Arabic. So you can read the Quran in English, but, but it is, it's, that's not the truly inspired word of God. Well, Christians, Christians love to translate the Bible. Um, they love to do it. 
from the very beginning they've been doing it. Um, as, even before Christianity uh, emerged, even before Christ, there were Jews living in the Greek-speaking world translating the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And there were, um, there were Jews living in Aramaic and Syriac-speaking regions out in, in Babylon, what is today Iraq and Iran, um, who were translating into Syriac. And, and, and then once Christianity took place, you know, Jesus came and lived and died and was raised again, and his disciples go out and preach. And as the apostles are writing their epistles, they are getting translated. They're translated from, uh, from Greek into Latin, into Syriac, into Persian, into Ethiopian, what is called Coptic. Um, they're translated into, uh, they're translated into uh, Gothic right, in the 4th century, which is the language of the Germans. Um, uh, and uh, and they, you know, a guy named Ophelus uh, goes, goes there and he translates the Bible into there. Um, and, and Christians have just always translated the Bible into to the language of the people around them. But then um, in the first 400 years or so, they did that, and then, uh, then we kind of got stuck. Uh, uh, Western Christianity, Christianity in Europe, they got a Latin copy of the Bible um, translated by a guy named Jerome, and uh, they just said, well, this is the one we're using. Tough luck to everybody else. And they said, if you want to know God, you've got to read him in, you've got to read the Bible in Latin. And it didn't matter what language you spoke. You spoke uh, Old English, you spoke Old French, you spoke High Norse, you, uh, you spoke Lithuanian, Estonian, Latvian, Romanian, Polish, Czech. It didn't matter what it was you spoke. If you were a Christian, you read the Bible in Latin. And then the Orthodox Church, which is based on what is today Istanbul, they went, oh yeah? Well, we still speak Greek. So we say... You can't understand the word of God unless you read it in Greek. And therefore, they said, you've got to read it in Greek. And that's the way that they were going to be. And everybody started to do that. Then um, around 1400, 1500, um, some pretty smart guys realized, hey, we could translate this. And then we wouldn't have this problem. And here's an even better idea. If we had a translation, we could check to make sure what the leaders are saying actually is in the Bible. Uh, I was a high school Bible teacher. True story. I asked my class one time, I said, please look up the reference of the statement in Scripture from each according to their ability to each according to their need. And my students tore through the Bible. They were looking everywhere for it. They're like, I know it's in the Bible. I know it's there. I said, said, well, if you can't find that one, go ahead and find cleanliness is next to godliness. And he tore through the Bible looking for I know it's in there. I know it's in there. I know it's in there. Because they didn't know the Bible well enough to know the first one came from Karl Marx and the second one came from John Wesley. Neither of them are from the Bible. Um, in fact, I had one student who thought that the First Amendment was in the Bible, but we won't get into that. The whole idea was if the Bible existed in the language that we, spe- that we speak, Right? We would be able to know the words of God in the language we speak. Now, is that biblical? And that's an interesting question. When we read the scriptures, we find that the gospel is not for the Jew who speaks Hebrew. It's not only for the Greek who speaks Greek. It's not only for the Roman. Who does the Bible say the gospel is for? All nations. In fact... All 
tongues. Therefore, it only makes sense that if we have a sure word of prophecy, like Peter says, that sure word of prophecy must be available to all of us. Inspiration does us no good. God speaking into creation does us no good if we can't hear his voice. Now, the flip side of the sheet that you got has this wonderful little graph. Because everybody loves when Eric talks about linguistics. Language nerd. Anyway, um, there are basically three philosophies of how you can translate the Bible into English. None of them are necessarily right, wrong, or indifferent. They have different functions. Um, the, one of the first uh, translations of the, the Bible into what is today English, Anglo-Saxon or Old English, um, was done by a, a shepherd named Cadman. Um, now, we have no idea what the actual historical basis of this. The story is told by a guy named Venerable Bede. Um, he was venerable, so he's called the Venerable, and his name was Bede, so his name is the Venerable Bede. Um, the Venerable Bede wrote a history of, of uh, the church and the English-speaking people, and he tells the story of this guy named Cadman. Now, the story he tells is a little weird. Cadman's at a fireplace. People are, people are singing songs. He gets intimidated because he can't sing. He runs off into the barn. An angel appears to him, gives him the miraculous power to translate Latin into Anglo-Saxon. Weird, um, but the the sense that we we have these we have these lines from Cadman. In fact, there was a band back in the early 2000s called Cadman's Call. Um, uh, they they called themselves Cadman's Call. His name's Cadman, but um, they I don't blame them. They were kids from the Midwest. Um, the the uh, not not that there's anything wrong with being from the Midwest. People were like, hey, you said the Midwest. Anyway, uh, so uh, so Cadman, what Cadman does, we have Cadman's uh, versions of the Bible written in the margins of Latin copies of the Bible, and they're what's called glosses, and they are basically Anglo-Saxon translations of the Book of Genesis, and they're kind of paraphrases. So um, it, you don't get you know a straightway um, in the Bokondige. You know, which is Anglo-Saxon. That's how it kind of sounds. It's got this really weird sound to it. Um, but um, you don't get in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You get you get a line like um, there was nothing and then God made all that was. Right? It, it's a paraphrase. It's a um, it's a it's it's very very dynamic. It, and he's changing. Anyway, there's these three philosophies. Paraphrase is where you just kind of get the underlying idea. I like to refer to paraphrase. In this analogy, a paraphrase is like when your kid repeats back to you what you told them to do. Right? I uh, Go clean your room. What did I just tell you to do? Clean my room later. No, that's not what I said. I said do it now. All right? Um, you know, it, a paraphrase is when you take something and you just kind of convey the general idea. Um, on the other side of the extreme is what's called formal equivalence, which is word-for-word uh, -word translation. Um, in other words, we, we sit there and we, as hard as we possibly can, we take the language, Greek or Hebrew or whatever, and we make English fit the language. And then in between is this thing called dynamic equivalence, which is a thought-for-thought -thought translation. So you kind of work sentences. I gave you Philippians chapter 1, verses eight, verse 8, um, in five different versions. Um, the formal equivalence one, all the way on the left, if you're looking at these, this is me translating the Greek word for word. 
So I did not change the grammar at all. Philippians 1.8, witness for me, God, that I long for you, plural, in the entrails of Jesus Christ. That is the most formal translation of Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. Then you get the King James, King James Version, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that's much better. I long for you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. The Christian Standard Bible, which is a relatively recent translation, uh, which our, our friend Mike Card worked on, um, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that's a dynamic translation. The, the word, remember last week we talked about the word splachna, right? And how it means intestine, colon, right? That's the word that's translated here. So I translate it as entrails. The King James translated it as bowels. And the Christian standard translates it as affection. Then we get the New Living Translation, which is kind of a, a, a blend of dynamic equivalents. A lot of people like this one. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. It's not bad. And then we get to Eugene Peterson and the message. How many of you like the message? It's okay. I'm not going to bite your head off. Okay. No, there's one or two of you. Okay. <laughs> Betty's like... The, the message is not a version of the Bible, just so you know. The message was meant to be what Eugene Peterson called it a pastoral paraphrase. It was, it was he would read the original, transla- original text of the Bible and he would kind of paraphrase it for people so they could understand it. This is what he says. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think, uh, I, I, think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. Okay? Still the same basic idea, a lot more words, those kind of things. So translation, why do I bring all this up? Translation is about conveying in our language something that exists in a different language, but understanding that there is no one-for-one pairing for those. Um, Now, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it in front of you guys, but I have a phrase in Japanese that I absolutely love. I have to actually read it out because it's too long. It means everybody makes mistakes. That's the that's the um, that's the uh, the kind of the idea, the dynamic translation. It literally means the the literal Japanese is even monkeys fall out of trees. That is just the most amazing turn of phrase ever. And you should do that. Like when your kid comes home, your kid's like, "Well, I got an F on my quiz. I don't know what." You just look at him and go, "Even monkeys fall out of trees." I mean, your kid will either be very very confused. Or, or feel appreciative. Anyway, so translation is this idea of we're rendering something that's in an original language, spakna, right? Bowels, entrails, colon. What does it mean in English? Just translating it as entrails or bowels doesn't really convey the idea. So there's a certain amount of dynamics to the way that we translate scripture. Um, and so we use a particular version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, for our public worship. We don't think that that's the only version that you should use. We use it because of its history, its heritage, its inheritance from uh, the, the, tra- the heritage of formal translations of the English Bible. It's, it's basically a continuation of the process that brought about the King James Bible. Now, how many of you have read the King James Bible? How many of you grew up on the King James Bible? All right. If you grew up on the King James Bible, how do other versions of the Bible compare to it? Right? All right. John's like, eh. Other versions, new versions are easier to read, right? But they don't sound as cool. 
Like the King James Bible was just written to be read aloud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That who's, You're like, begotten? Who uses that word? But it's an amazing word. And the, the great thing about the King James Bible, I grew up using the King James Bible. Um, I still have verses memorized in my head in the King James Bible. The King James Bible was intentionally written to be read aloud by somebody who knew how to read things aloud. That, that's, that was its intention. That was its purpose. You weren't supposed to sit with the King James Bible and read it in, the, in your head. How many, of you, how many of you read the Bible in your head and fall asleep? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, let's be honest. You sit down and you're like, I am going to be a good Christian today. I'm opening the Bible, and I'm... (sighs) That's because a good Bible is a Bible that is meant to be read aloud. It's meant to be said. Because remember what I said about praise right at the beginning? Ryan mentioned that we, we speak praise, we say things. You have to speak it. You have to say it out loud. I read the Bible out loud by myself. You say, well, that's just weird. Okay. Now, granted, I'm reading it in Greek, but uh, um, but I just like, I like to read it aloud. If I can't read it aloud, do I really know what it means? I like to read things aloud. It also slows me down because we've had this conversation. I don't read left to right because of the languages I read. I read top to bottom. Um, and so I read very, very fast, and I will miss things all the time. So I like to read aloud. That's neither here nor there. Why? Why on earth, if we believe that the Bible is the more sure prophecy, if we believe what Peter says here, if we believe what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed, it's given by God for, for, for the purposes of correction and instruction, and, um, and i terrible at memorizing verses, all right? Four things that he lists, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished to all good works in Christ Jesus. If, if we believe that about the Bible, and we have the Bible in our language, in unbelievable variety. All the way from formal equivalences to the paraphrases. Maybe, maybe you, you're not a great reader. Maybe you don't love to read. So it's more useful for you to have something like the New Living Translation and, and audiobooks and all of those things. Or, or maybe you're like, uh, like me and Doc. And you just grew up on the King James Bible and you like the King James Bible and this is the way we're going to read it. And, and you know, you might be able to suffer the new King James Bible, but it still sounds kind of weird because it got rid of the these and thous and we really like the these and thous. Wherever you are on the spectrum, here's the thing. The reason that we translate the Bible is so that you will have it because if you say it's your authority, you better know it. You better understand it. You better devote time to it. As a Christian... We have a sure word of prophecy. Yet all around the world, there are Christians who maybe even carry a Bible, come to church, but don't bother actually trying to understand it. They don't put in the effort or the time to read it because they figure the pastor will explain what I need. The heritage of Christianity has been been to give Scripture to the believer 
so we might know our God. So that when we go into his presence, we know who he is, what he does, as he has revealed himself to us. Now, there are some things about God we are never going to understand. I was one of those question kids. I was one of those kids who had a question about absolutely everything. Don't you love those kids? I happen to really enjoy that. I like, I like inquisitive kids. Um, again, going back to being a high school, high school Bible teacher, I one time had a quiz. Were you in the class where I gave the quiz, the Jesus quiz? Every answer was Jesus. Yes. I gave a quiz. Every answer was Jesus. Half the class failed. Because um, they were like, this can't possibly be right. And I was like, how do you not know? They, I love questioning people. My dad used to do this to me. We would be sitting there. There were, there were a couple of responses he would use to me. I started to ask questions. I, the rule was I would go in my dad's office. He was working at the time on a Greek New Testament. He was digitizing a Greek New Testament from the 1500s. You know, my dad does light things. And, um, and he's working on this thing. And I would come into his office. I'd be, I was like eight or nine years old. And the rule was I could read any book on his bookshelf as long as one, I put it back when I was done. And two, I actually had valid questions about the content of the book. That was, those were the rules. So I would sit on the, the really, really dumpy couch that he had in his office that I think he picked off the curb of like a, a, a house fire or something. It was in terrible condition. But I would sit on the couch and I would read books and then I would ask my dad questions. Well, I started to get into his theology books. Right, which is always a mistake to let an eight-year-old get a theology book. Um, and so I would get his theology books and I would start asking these questions. What if, if God is omniscient? Right? If God knows everything, right? First, I had to look up the word omniscient. That was the other rule too, but there was a third rule, even though it was never said. I was never allowed, allowed to ask what a word meant. I had to get the dictionary and look it up. So I'm looking up omniscient. Right? Eight, nine years old. I'm like omniscient. O m n I, omni, 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 right? So omniscient means God is all-knowing. Well, if God is all-knowing, then, uh, you know, why did, why did God create Adam and Eve, right? Um, if he knew they were going to sin, right? Wouldn't it have been easier to just skip the thing and just be by himself? Why didn't and I, and why, why did God do this? And I start asking these questions. Some of us have the same questions. So I ask these questions. And after about question 13 or 14 or 15, my dad would say to me, Mr. DeVitro, because he always called me Mr. DeVitro. He never called me by my first name. My dad did not call me by my first name until I was in my 20s. He, he would say to me, he would say, Mr. DeVitro, he said, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And then he'd go back to work. Like, how frustrating. What does Deuteronomy 29, 29 say? Now I'm going to have to get a Bible out. I've got to look it up. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things, they belong to the Lord alone, but that which is revealed belongs to you. In other words, if the Bible is silent, this is a, my dadism, be wise and be like the Bible. There are some questions we will never know the answer to. But what is revealed to us, we as Christians have an obligation, a responsibility to know. Why do we use the English Standard Version? Because it sounds good read aloud. It's, it's accurate. It has some issues. It's fundamentally, it sounds good and it's comprehensible when it's read aloud. That's why we use it. There's no other reason. 
Because we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is the final authority for faith and practice for Christians, and so we should be able to understand it, we should be able to listen to it, we should be able to study it so that we can know our God. Let me close with my big idea. If you're not studying the Bible, start. You say, what? If you claim to be a Christian and you are not devoting a considerable amount of energy to understanding the word of God, you need to start. I'm not reprimanding you. I'm not like yelling at you or anything. But if you claim that Jesus is the Lord of your life and the Savior of of your eternal soul, you should probably devote a little bit of time to understanding what he had to say. Doesn't that make sense? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, huge concept dealing with the Bible. Just help us to know you to not trust our feelings and our impressions, to not rely on our own abilities and capacities, but to study your word, to devote ourselves to understanding what you in your infinite wisdom and grace have revealed to us. We understand, Father, that those outside of the church think we're crazy for committing to the authority of this book. We understand that it takes faith to accept that this was given by your breath. But Lord, help us to devote ourselves to it as a church, as individuals, as a family, as families. To know you better through the written word which reveals to us the living word. That we might be your people. And we might trust this sure word we have from you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.